A few notes before we begin this episode. First of all, we are so sorry this is a week late, but we had both Jordan and I were sick last week and one of our horses among us was also sick and in the hospital, so we felt like the best thing to do. He's fine, by the way. Um, we're all fine. We're all good. Other than our voices still sounding a little nasally and raspy, so apologies for that. But um, we just decided to wait an extra week before recording and releasing this episode. And the other note that I want to share is that this is our last episode of season one. We're going to take a little bit of time off and then we will be back with season two. We have lots of exciting topics already lined up. We have some great interviews lined up for season two and we're super excited to share all of that with you soon. So make sure if you're not subscribed, you subscribe now so that you know as soon as season two comes out. And otherwise, we'll just get right into the episode. It's a really important topic. We're talking about hobby horsemanship this week, which I think applies to way more people in the equine industry than are recognized. And I think it's a really important thing to look at and examine and um, kind of delve into, explore, because they often, hobby horse people, myself included, I identify as a hobby horse person, are pretty vastly underserved by the industry in terms of resources and information and support. So hopefully this episode is helpful for all of you, whether you're a hobby horse person or a competitive horse person or anywhere in between, and hope you enjoy it. Welcome to The Whole Scoop. I'm Ruby, a lifetime horse lover, equine nutritionist, and horse trainer. I'm Jordan. I'm new to the horse world, but also a wannabe full-time horse girl. Whether you're a first-time rider or experienced equestrian, join us as we share stories, wisdom, and tips through the lens of a holistic horsewoman. So this week our topic, our main topic is going to be about, I think kind of for lack of a better term, and maybe we'll come up with a better term during this episode, I don't know, no pressure on us, but it's going to be about the hobby horse owner. Before we get into the main topic, we wanted to talk, answer uh, a question from our Instagram like we've been trying to do. Um, Jordan, do you want to pick one that we can answer kind of? Briefly, some of these I feel like are awesome questions that we actually should turn into entire episodes, but some of these I think we could answer. Yeah. Um, let me see. How about if you could change one thing about horse industry, what would it be and why? Ooh. I feel like I would change how financially driven, at least this has like been in the forefront of my mind recently, just that the idea of using animals for profit in some way, and this might be like a bigger conversation too, and we might even talk about this in our episode today, but like in some way using animals for profit kind of changes the way you view that animal mm-hmm. and maybe changes the way that you make decisions about that animal's welfare. Mm-hmm. And... Not to say that, I mean, I personally profit off of a horse-based business. 
so I don't know that all profiting off of horses is a bad thing necessarily, but I think um, the equine industry as a whole, looking closely at how you're profiting off the horses and making sure that that's not changing the way that you see them or value them or care for them, I think is really important. And same with clients and the care that we offer both people and horses in the industry kind of regardless of their financial value. Mm-hmm. I think that would, might be kind of a huge change that could make a lot of lives better. Yeah. <clears throat> Mine is probably how people approach training and like training a horse and how they interact with them because I feel like there's so much depth that needs to be had and not just like and, it, and I guess it depends on what you're doing with them, right? If you're just making money off of them or you just want them to show and you just want them to do their job and you just want blah, blah, blah. You know, you could approach it way differently than someone like me who is just like, I love you so much and I want to hang out. Yeah, it's just, and I'm not saying everyone needs to be that, that way, but I feel like a little more, you know, softness would be, mm. would be nice. Yeah. It'd be nice <clears throat> to see. Yeah. And a little less, like, I feel like things are so competitive, too, which is what we've mm-hmm. talked about. Or, like, people don't want to share their knowledge or something because they think that yeah. other people are going to take it. And I don't know. It's kind of like that in all fields, but I've definitely seen that, I feel like. So, yeah. This would be good. Two good changes, I guess. Absolutely. Okay. And I feel like both of those, all of them, and also maybe what we're going to talk about in a second here, I'll go back to putting horse welfare first Mm -hmm. and not to say that the industry inherently doesn't do that because I think there's a lot of people out there that do but I think it's easy sometimes to forget Mm -hmm. that the horses are like why we got into this in the first place Mm -hmm. and for most of us it's because we love horses and we want to be around them and enjoy them yeah so Definitely. Yeah, I don't think you can just do a horse sport and just not like them. I mean, I guess. I don't know. Like, and then it makes me think of like a jockey or something Mm -hmm. who just literally hops on and races a horse and then gets off. Or even an owner, like a a, a big time owner that like owns lots of race horses or lots of competitive Mm -hmm. horses that, you know, maybe you don't actually ride or you're not involved in their daily life. You just pay the bills and hopefully make some money off their winnings i don't know that's kind of wild i didn't yeah i didn't even that's weird to me but i think honestly nowadays in this now we i guess can just kind of segue right into our topic um (laughs) nowadays i think that's a very small offset segment of the horse industry Mm -hmm. and it seems to me this is what i have been thinking about a lot since our conversation with Lockie a few weeks ago It seems to me like the horse industry is shifting where, so as we kind of, just to recap what we talked about with Lockie, for a lot of human history, we needed horses for survival. We needed them for transportation, for literal workhorses in the fields, for war, war, Mm -hmm. for exploration of new places. Like, pretty much everything humans have done throughout history 
for most of human history really relied on horses and had we not had them we could you know go down all these roads of thinking about what life would look like for us now mm-hmm. couldn't really imagine how how different that would be but then we kind of came to this point this juncture where machines started to take over for the horse and cars obviously tractors mm-hmm. war machines etc mm-hmm. <laughs> etc yeah. et right yeah and we didn't need horses anymore but then what ended up happening was we then just took all of those things like you know i think a lot of i always ex- explain to little kids like western sports come from cowboy days where you had to be able to like ride your horse for days and days to go explore new territory or you had to be able to like go out and get cattle and doctor them or go out and brand your cattle because you didn't have fences so no one else would steal your cows like you know those that's basically where all western sports come from like we look at now cutting and reining and trail riding and (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. barrel racing even like they all came from days when people depended on horses for kind of farm life survival yeah and then english sports come from wartime Mm -hmm. so dressage came from you know being able to control your horse so precisely with such precise movements that you could use them as a war machine and jumping came from hunting fox hunting like you know all of these sports originated from a real necessity and then when those necessities became less and less important to us they became sport and they became entertainment Mm -hmm. and with that came a lot of money and still this kind of drive to Mm, what's the word I'm looking for? Like pressure on the horse, pressure on the performance of the horse. Yeah. To continue to perform and, and to do their job precisely and consistently. Now, not so much for survival, but for sport. Yeah. But I think now there's this whole emerging group of people that are really like and I don't I I don't love the term hobby horse owner because I think it kind of implies someone that's maybe not as invested (laughs) in in their horses yeah so maybe we can think of another word for that but basically the industry (laughs) would term them hobby horse owners that they're not showing they're not depending on their horse for sport or for income or for anything else but they Mm -hmm. just you know like to go trail ride on Sundays and Mm -hmm. they like to they like the company of their horse and they like to go ride for fun as a hobby yeah (laughs) or as a passion but it's not it's not something that their lives depend on Mm -mm. and those people are often still overlooked by the industry and forgotten by the industry and underserved by the industry Mm -hmm. even though there's such a big segment of what fuels the industry yeah so anyway i consider myself more of a hobby horse owner even though I do profit from horses and I make my livelihood from horses but I I'm not showing Mm -hmm. and I'm not I don't take on clients that are motivated by showing or by I think probably the most expensive horse that any of my clients have right now probably tops out at like ten thousand dollars yeah and I kind of have that by design because I'm not trying to serve yeah 
that segment of the horse industry. But anyway, now yeah. that I've babbled on forever, how do you, I feel like you also classify yourself as a hobby horse person. Yeah. Like a leisurely horsewoman. Mm-hmm. Leisurely horsing around. Like, yeah. <laughs> Maddie. <laughs> horsing leisurely. That's great. Um, <clears throat> yeah. No, I don't think hobby horse like what are we calling it hobby horse people yeah <laughs> i feel like that it's a hobby i mean i don't know i'm definitely i'm definitely one of those people and i think that i don't know there's more and more people obviously doing that and i actually heard somebody the other day say um that back then <laughs> Horses were, like, if you were poor, you had a horse, and if you were rich, you had a car, and now it's totally the opposite. Uh (laughs) You don't have to be rich to have a horse, but, you know, it's expensive to just own a horse and, like, just to have and, like, ride and, you know, have as a friend, you know? Because to me, it's like having a big dog, Mm -hmm. a really big dog that I love and that I also get to ride, because that, like, that it's so fun better than a dog sorry sorry dog lovers but um yeah and I do think they're underserved and I don't think people really think about their horses I feel like when you're a hobby horse person you know if you get a horse like I was thinking about this I was like what if I do get a ranch horse that's only 10 years old or 11 or 12 and they're really used to like working every day because that's what they did then they come to me and what if they're like bored you know, what if they're just like, hmm, I used to work every day and now we're just dilly-dallying around. I'd like to think that I would make my horse happy, but you don't know. What if they, I don't think people think about that. There's like, oh, a really good, sane, broke ranch horse. This is going to be great. You can sit in my backyard. Hey. And then expect them to be like good to go. Yeah. No, that brings up a really good point actually. And that it kind of goes back to like thinking about how many centuries millennia yeah (laughs) we've been breeding horses to have work ethic yeah and then now there's this time when all these people have horses that are being i don't know if underutilized isn't necessarily the word i want to use but you know they they have a more relaxed lifestyle and i Mm -hmm. i often see horses that are restless and uncomfortable with being under ridden understimulated yeah and that's where i think kind of going back to like the enrichment conversation like if you're not riding your horse every day even if you are but especially if you're not Mm -hmm. making sure that they're doing something every single day is so important because we they are bred they are (laughs) man-made creatures that we have created over you know so much time to be able to work hard and Mm -hmm. show up every day and be consistent and do all those things Mm -hmm. and to not ask that of them is almost in some ways a disservice to their like dna and history Mm -hmm. and yet also to over ask that of them (laughs) is equally a disservice like having that balance of like making sure that they're used enough that they're working enough and that they're they feel like they have some sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. I do feel like I often see, not often, but once in a while, see horses that are 
like almost depressed because they are not feeling fulfilled in their work. And I think that is a really valid question when you're thinking about buying a horse or if you have a horse and you're thinking about their care, kind of remembering to look at especially what breed you have, like, you know, like going back to dogs, like there's a difference between a husky and a pug, you know, mm-hmm. like if you get a husky, you better be prepared to walk that dog like 10 miles a day yeah. or have, you know, some kind of job for it because it's not going to be able to handle life in an apartment. Mm-hmm. If you live in an apartment, you might want to look at a pug, like mm-hmm. <laughs> probably yeah. a better fit. Yeah. And same with horses, like thinking about their age and their training and their mm-hmm. breeding and, you know, an Arabian is going to be really different then a ranch horse is going to be really different than like a, a draft horse. Like they're all going to mm-hmm. have really different needs in term mental needs in terms of stimulation and work and drive. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really important thing to think about for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I feel like a lot of horses are depressed. <clears throat> it just is what it is. I, I don't know. And you're like, what do you supposed to do about it and if you can't get them out every day which some people can't but that's the other reason why having horses is such a big responsibility and even if you're just a hobby horse person you're like you got to take that stuff into consideration like can you go and get them out every day and if you're not at least every other day but even then like i just feel like that's not acceptable really and i know people who just stress about that which I'm like that's good that you're being a good horse person you're like you know I need to get my horses out today or it's gonna rain for the next four days I really need to get them out no matter what and you know even if it's the last thing they do that day at least it happens and then there's some people who are just like well whatever and also I feel like it if they're out in like a pasture or something with other horses and they're having a great time and they're running around that's different I feel like you you can get away with kind of like not taking them out every single day if they have a lot of like if they feel like they're fulfilled and they're running around they look happy it's different versus them sitting in a stall which is you know absolutely I don't know. yeah no I absolutely agree I think the they're all really important factors to consider and I think honestly like to go back to what Lockie was saying in our last episode there aren't a lot of people out there talking to these hobby horse owners, leisurely horse owners that are, you know, making these decisions and navigating these issues. And that I think is where the industry is failing a lot of horses and a lot of people Mm -hmm. because they're not getting the information that's appropriate for their lifestyle. Mm Mm-hmm. And actually, like, I kind of ended up feeling really inspired by that conversation. And I think I I tend to, like I said, work with mostly hobby horse owners anyway, almost all. Um, But I, when I was forming my spring workshop series, I really looked through the lens of the hobby horse owner when I was Uh picking which workshop topics, when I was narrowing it down. And I ended up picking all, all topics geared toward hobby horse owners or new people in the industry, Mm -hmm. new horse owners or, you know, people that are considering becoming horse owners because I felt like those people need support Mm -hmm. and it's, it's hard to find. 
Yeah. So, yeah. And I think also that kind of in some ways comes back to this like strange, exclusive culture that we have in the horse industry where it's kind of like if you weren't born here then you don't deserve to know like I don't know what that's about but again like putting the horses first we should be sharing knowledge and we should be helping people and supporting them and instead we tend to just like silently not we yeah as an industry as a whole this is a very broad generalization Mm -hmm. (laughs) but the industry tends to just kind of silently judge people that don't know what they're doing Mm -hmm. instead of offering the support mm-hmm. and offering the help and in most cases I find when I offer support to somebody they're grateful for it mm-hmm. because they're like I had no idea what I was doing or I had no idea that was dangerous or I had no idea my horse was depressed yeah thanks for letting me know how can I fix it yeah because most people want to do right by their horse mm-hmm. especially hobby horse people yeah. like they're getting them for enjoyment and as a pet or just a ride or so I feel like they're more open to it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And I also feel like that could start with like the sell. <laughs> like the person selling the horse, you know, they could do a little more work in like, you know, uh, what's the vetting, like vetting mm-hmm. people and not saying don't sell it to them because they've never had a horse and they don't know what they're doing, but like take the time because it's your responsibility. You own the horse right now to be like, so what are your plans? Like, what do you think it's like to own a horse or you know just like have a conversation yeah it's not that hard absolutely you know what i feel like a lot of people are focused on making a sell so there's like you're putting money in in front of the horse's welfare which is exactly what shouldn't be happening yeah so well that's one reason honestly why i always like you're thinking about toying with this idea of maybe looking at horses and like I always recommend that people bring me with them mm-hmm. because I think it actually to the right seller mm-hmm. looks good when you bring your support crew with you yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. yeah, if there's an issue or if I don't know where to go, this is the person that I am, mm-hmm. you know, choosing and hiring to support me mm-hmm. as opposed to going alone. And then you kind of, you know, like I, when I haven't sold many horses in my time, <laughs> yeah. but like when I am thinking about finding a home for a horse or a dog or whatever else, because I tend to foster yeah. things, yeah, that is always a consideration to me. Like, does this person have the knowledge to care for this animal? And if not, where are they getting the support to mm-hmm. gain that knowledge? Yeah. And that can actually be a good marker of whether or not this person is a, a selling this horse with any integrity, you know, is yeah. like, yeah. if they're asking those questions. Yeah. Which totally. is maybe a good thing to keep in mind. Hey, it's Ruby. As an equine nutritionist, I founded True Bar Nutraceuticals when I found that many of the supplements that I was recommending to clients were not readily available on the market. A nutraceutical is something we feed our horses with the intention of creating a desired health outcome. For example, our bestseller, Chia Seeds, can be fed to improve digestion, hoof health, or muscle recovery. We sell high-quality, whole-food nutraceuticals for horses to help them reach their full potential. Check us out at true-bar.co or on Instagram at truebarhorse and use code TWS at checkout for 20% off your first order. So I'm curious though, so like, you know, as you are a hobby horse person that is newer in the industry, 
what do you think are some ways that people could get more support or could, you know, learn how Mm -hmm. to do better by their horses? And maybe you don't know the answer because you haven't had that support. I don't know. But maybe just think about like what, I don't know, how, how could the industry serve you better? Well, I think for somebody to be even thinking about this kind of stuff, like, yes, you could just want a horse, like, and just be like, cool, I just want a horse, and I can buy one, because maybe you have money that you have to spend, or whatever. But I think for people to, like, really use critical thinking, even when it comes to this kind of stuff, is you just have to have that in you. More, like, empathy and, like, compassion and... Some people just don't think like that, so unfortunately. Um, and it's not like it can't be learned or something if you have a conversation with someone and you're like, oh, that's a good point. I should think about what my horse needs more and what I should do with them, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. Me personally, you know, I I will find the answers that I'm looking for and I never go into anything like willy nilly ever. So if I, you know, if I look up horse trainers or look up literally people on Instagram or Google stuff, like I will find the answer eventually. And then I come to a conclusion of like, okay, I can do this or I can manage this, you know? And like the other day, this is what I was thinking about. When I called you, you know, Chance went to the hospital because he was sick and it really scared me because one, I was nervous that I didn't know what was going on with him and I didn't want him to die. So that made me really scared. And he's not even my horse, but I like really love him. And I was like, oh my God, if he, can I handle this? What if he, what if something happens to him? Like, I'm gonna be heartbroken. I don't even wanna think about it. But then I was like, how much did this cost after all was said and done and he was fine? Then I was like, oh my God, money. So I feel like that would be me as a horse owner. I'd be like, take them, please. And then I'd be like, oh wait, oh, you're good now. Okay, wait, how much do I have to pay you for this? (laughs) Um, But I was a little freaked out because, you know, I don't have like thousands of dollars laying, just sitting there waiting for an accident to happen. So that's when I called you and was having slight freak out. And I was like, I don't know if I could... I don't know if I can own a horse. Like, I don't think I'll be a good horse owner if I do this. And I don't know if that's fair. And, you know, I'm the whole thing. And you talked me off the ledge. So, um, I don't know. That was a good learning moment for me as a little hobby horseman person. Um, yeah, and you had good, you had good advice or like good information. But if I wouldn't have asked you about that, I would have been thinking about it still. And then I probably would have talked myself out of getting horse. So. Well, and that's why I think, like, you know, there's been this conversation happening in the industry lately among, I don't know, trainers, farriers, everyone, where mm-hmm. they're like, numbers are declining. <laughs> Shows are vacant. Like, nobody's showing up. And I think part of it maybe was we had a big boom in COVID and then things are kind of correcting the other way. Mm-hmm. But I also think part of it is we have incredibly high barriers to entry in this industry Mm -hmm. because of things like that. Because horses are expensive, Mm -hmm. because we have a judgmental, exclusive 
every person for themselves culture in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Because information is hard to find. Mm-hmm. And there are all these people <laughs> that love horses and want to be involved and are like asking for ways to get involved in the industry. And they have nowhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, as far as I'm aware, I might be wrong about this, but I think I'm the only person in driving distance of here that teaches adult beginners. Yeah. I don't know anyone else that takes on adult beginners. Yeah. And I do that really intentionally because I feel like if they're going to learn somewhere, (laughs) I would rather be the one to support them through that rather than having them think that they know more than they do totally innocently happens all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) or they go on a trail ride or they you know whatever and end up in a situation that is dangerous or reckless or whatever else because as you know foundations are really important in Mm -hmm. the horse sport world and whether or not you know you want to show or whatever else like making sure that you have the balance and the strength and the timing and the rhythm and you can read the horse and have the behavior and all of those things can really make or break (laughs) someone's riding career before it even starts. Yeah. And there's just nobody out there with that. So No, I shouldn't say nobody. There are so few people out there (laughs) that are offering that. And I think it's a huge missed opportunity for a lot of trainers. And I also think it's a huge missed opportunity for a lot of people that want to become better writers yeah. and that are looking for those answers and nobody's there to answer them. Yeah. Totally agree with that. I mean, yeah, I didn't even know. The only reason I knew that this was possible was because of Kate when she was being trained by you, you know? And I was like, oh, you can just take lessons? That's cool. Like, I don't know. I For some reason, it seemed very fancy to me. I was like, oh, you have to like train for a show or you have to have been doing this your whole life and that's how you get into it you know so and that is true at most barns yeah like there are a lot of trainers that that won't take clients unless they have been doing it a goal of showing Mm -hmm. or or they don't even make that an option like you hear all these stories all the time I hear all these stories all the time of people that like get back into writing as an adult and they go start taking lessons at the Hunter Jumper Barn, and the next thing they know, they're showing every weekend, and they have a $50,000 horse, because that's just the standard track. Like, that's just... And if you don't want to do that, then you just don't ride. Like, that's just what's offered. Yeah. (laughs) Which I think is just kind of ludicrous, because some people do want that, and those people should be able to get that, and they should have that accessible, and it should be available. But not everyone does. Some people really just want to go trail ride, and they just want to know they're safe. Mm-hmm. on their horse mm-hmm. and that's all yeah and they should be able to do that yeah but without the right guidance they end up with dangerous horses mm-hmm. or they end up with like Lockie was saying jumping all over the place doing different sports every mm-hmm. two months and their mm-hmm. horses are confused or frustrated <laughs> or you know whatever and these riders aren't making safe decisions for them or their horses and there's nobody there to help them with no. that no 
it's crazy to me to think that people just go and buy a horse and be like, all right, well, I'm going to just get on and I think you just kick it to make it go. And Oh, you'd be shocked. It happens all the time. It's crazy. That's crazy. And it happens with the best of intentions. Yeah. Yeah. They're not trying to like hurt themselves or hurt their horse or whatever. But like just thinking back on where like we started, like I, I don't know. I would just never, I guess I would never think that I could just get on a horse and be like, yeah. I could, like, we're good. Unless it was, like, life or death situation, maybe. But thinking back on that and then just all the things that I have learned and now how much more aware I am of everything when I'm riding, like, that's a that's a, an animal with its own brain. Like, if you can't read it or you can't read the situation or read the signs or how your horse is feeling, like... If you're not practiced in that and you, you just go out, I love the, the term willy-nilly. That's mm-hmm. what it is. If you just go out and just do that, like you're just asking for something bad to happen, I yeah. feel like. Unless you have a basically just brain-dead horse who's just like, whatever, you know? I'm going to just walk around and stare at the wall. Yeah. You know? So, it's gnarly. Yeah. And I know I've told you this before, but I really believe that the most dangerous person on a horse is an advanced beginner because Mm -hmm. they have just enough information to get themselves into trouble, but not enough to get out of it yet. (laughs) And they have this newfound confidence because they have just, you know, they can steer and they can stop and they can go. (laughs) (laughs) And they feel like they can do anything Mm -hmm. and they don't realize... You know, I don't think most people realize when they get into riding how much it really takes no. to ride a horse and yeah. how far you can go and how far the education can go. Yeah. People think it's like driving a car. Like you learn the basics and then you're good and you can do it. You can get in any car and drive it. And it's it's true for cars. Yeah. But with horses, <laughs> just because you can stop and go and turn does not mean that you can ride any horse. No. So these people, best of intentions, absolutely nobody's at fault here feel like they're educated <laughs> and they go get on horses that they can't handle Ugh. or they get themselves and they take their horses that they can't handle into situations that they can't handle. Yeah. And they end up in dangerous situations. And I've actually started in my lesson program when I'm working with people in their first couple of lessons, like letting them know, like, just so you know, this is usually what I tell them is the riders that you see that look like they're flopping all around and bouncing all over the place and probably how you felt today because it's most people can feel in the beginning like that like Mm -hmm. they feel they feel like they're out of control and then they get a little stronger and they start to feel like they're in control Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so I've I've started telling people in their first few lessons like the riders that you see that are flopping all around and look like they're not in control they're they're not working very hard they're they might be mentally working hard or whatever but they're those are like the lowest level riders Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what sport or how good they think they are or anything else when you see a rider that looks like they're effortless and they're not doing anything and they're one with their horse and you're like wow they just look like they're just flowing and nothing's happening those people are burning up to 400 calories an hour yeah they're working they probably have a six-pack like they're working really hard yeah yeah (laughs) to be doing what they're doing yeah and it just looks effortless. It's like ballet, yeah. right? Like it looks like they're light and they're floating and it, nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. But there's a lifetime of education that went into that. Muscle and, memory. you know, so it's normal to feel like this is hard. Yeah. And if it starts to feel easy, it just means you have something more to learn. Yeah. And 
that's all. And and that way I think it kind of my goal in telling people that is not to intimidate them or make them feel, you know, like they're not a good writer or anything. Because again, they're they're just starting out, so they already know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully, they already know they're not very good writers because <laughs> yes. they they don't know anything yet. Yeah. Um, but my goal is to like put it in perspective that this is a long road. Yeah. And just because you get the the fundamentals doesn't mean that you're ready for the big time yet and it also doesn't mean that you're not a good writer it just means you're on the road and that's great you've achieved stability and that's fantastic now we get to look at more nuanced writing yeah does that make sense yeah and I feel like I'm like right around there I don't I don't think I'll ever be like cocky though Mm -mm. I'm just not that person Mm -mm. I, I like know that there's so much that I can do better like so much and I still am like, oh my god, this feels like not good. And then, you know, I'll get the feedback of like, that looked great. And I was like, it did. It didn't feel like like it didn't. It feels good. But then I see videos and it's well, it's you a tend struggle. to have the opposite thing because you're so analytical. Oh, where so you, I have to be very careful because <laughs> there's two kinds of writers, right? Like there's the kind that thinks they're better than they are, which is totally fine. Like mm-hmm. no judgment, not. I don't, I don't care which kind you are. Like, Aww. whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's the kind that think they're worse than they are. <laughs> and I feel like you're in that group. Like, yeah. you tend to demote yourself. Yeah. And you tend to, like, not trust yourself or not trust your horse. Mm-hmm. Which is not a bad thing. Yeah. Honestly. Because it keeps you safe. It keeps you safe. And you're not making decisions rashly. Like, you're, you're making good decisions. Yeah. But also knowing that about yourself uh-huh. and then being able to like examine that and be able to ask yourself objectively, do I feel like I can't do this because I don't have the knowledge and I know I can't do this? Or do I feel like I can't do this because I'm feeling insecure uh-huh. for some other reason? And uh-huh. being able to like go into that and think about it and figure out where that's coming from. Yeah. Is it a trust issue or is it a knowledge issue? Yeah. And then being able to go from there and figure out. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I, I mean, I feel like all the things I do on a horse, I know now. And I, like, I know what to do. But then I'm like, are you sure you can handle it? <laughs> That's like my own self-questioning me, you know. Um, and I also just, I also think it's crazy that people, yeah, when they do just learn some basics and they're like, oh, I'll just ride any oh, hop on that horse. Look at, I'm like, you're literally at, like, have a death wish. Like, to me, anytime you put me on a new horse, I don't care what people say about the horse. I'm like, what if we don't vibe? What, what if this horse just doesn't like me? Or whatever. Um, and I never push my limits on a horse that I've never been on. Like, the other day when I told you I rode a horse named Chip. Shout out, Chip. We love you. <laughs> You know, I've heard <laughs> he's a great kid's horse. He loves kids. Like he's, he's like, yeah, what? He's an old man. <laughs> he's like not gonna do too much, but he will still buck if <laughs> Montana gets on him. It's because she te- like she pushes him, and like she means to do that. She's like, let's let's go, you know. And with the kids on him, he's like, oh yeah, whatever, we're just walking around. So I was like, oh no, like, am I gonna on like accidentally? push him too hard or he's gonna think I'm trying to push him too hard and he's gonna like you know try to get me off of him I was like having it it was really good for me because I could keep myself like 
under control and not let my thoughts just and like my nerves run wild and we it was great it was a fun fine time you know he was he's I supposedly he's very good at collecting and she was trying to teach me that and it was not working out and he did get a little you know <laughs> spicy yeah it got a little spicy and I was like oh some spice <laughs> and I, it didn't scare me because I was like I don't know. He wasn't trying to be mean. He was just like, what do you want from me? You're asking me all these things, you know? And I would never just go on and be like, yeah, I know how to do this. Like, I barely even know what collect is. Barely. Like, I think I know. And then I try it and nothing happens. So. That's normal, that was by a the humbling way. moment. <laughs> Collection is the first, well, not really oh. the first necessarily, but one of the earlier things that you do in writing that people can explain it and you can watch videos <sighs> and you can learn the heck out of it read entire books about it but until you feel it yeah. you will never understand so it it's one of those things you just you have to ride it yeah <laughs> and until you ride it you just oh. have to keep throwing spaghetti at the wall until you figure it out because it it doesn't it doesn't make logical sense to most people <laughs> it made none you just have to feel it like yeah. there's no other way around it no and i think i felt it for about maybe 10 seconds that's great Bare, that's a great barely. Start. That's fantastic. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then, now that you know what it feels like, you know when it's not collection, and then you'll know when it is collection. I still and don't then... know if I'll know. <laughs> the only reason I know is because they're like, she's all, "That's it, that," and then I just stopped. <laughs> Literally, as soon as I got it, I stopped. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm so tired. I was exhausted. Um, but yeah, like you know, if somebody like if I watch somebody and they're like, "This is what it is," I wouldn't be like, "Oh." I can do that. You just, like, whatever it is, you know? I just don't, I just, I feel like I'm humble and I'm not, like, thinking I know things. Because I Which don't. Which is great. Yeah. That's perfect. I feel like That's I, how... I'm a good hobby horseman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, honestly, most people are. Mm-hmm. And the ones that aren't, honestly, there's not much you can do to change it. Like, no. Like, you know, we tend to think like, well, if I just show them or if I just tell them or if one of these days they're going to get in a bad situation and they'll realize I was right. And it never works out that way. It just no. doesn't. You just, you have to just let people do their own thing. Yeah. And, you know, you can tell them, you can warn them uh-huh. that they're on a dangerous path or that they're doing things, whatever. And if they want your help, you help. It's just yeah. like anything in life. And if yeah. they don't, you just say, well, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> and you gotta just have to people, leave it at that. People got a people. Yeah. Got a people. Yeah, uh-huh. unless of course it's a welfare issue for the horse. Well, yeah. Then always get involved. But yeah. Otherwise, like, you know, I I've had um a few situations where I've been working with people and they're paying me for my advice and they don't seem to take it for some reason. <laughs> and I just like whatever, that's fine. Like that happens in every I used to in the very beginning when I first started teaching lessons, that would really bug me and yeah. I would like think about like did I not explain it right? Did I like, how could I have done that better? Mm-hmm. And I would, like, beat myself up about it. And then at some point, I was just like, they're just not ready to hear it. And that's yeah. fine. And I'm just going to let that go. And if they want to keep paying me to tell them the same thing, I will keep coming and telling them the same thing. Yeah. And maybe Great. someday they'll get it. Maybe someday they won't. But, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's fine. It's, <laughs> it, it's their path, you know. True. And I can support or not. Or not Whatever. Support. Yeah. It happens the best of. Yeah. It happens in every field. It's yeah. really weird. Do we have any, like, finishing, closing thoughts about this before we... I mean, I just think for me, like, 
if anyone's listening that is a hobby horse person, just know that you're not alone. No. Find trainers because we are out there that want to support you. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, you might have to look for us, but we're here. Um, yeah. And find your support group and, and stick to that. And then, you know, if you are a professional in the equine industry, maybe take a long, hard look at how you're supporting the hobby horse person or not and just be clear about it. You don't have to change anything. But if you're not prepared to support the hobby horse person, then think about if, you know, there's anyone you need to maybe help find someone who can support them. Yeah. Or, you know, or if you do want to support them, then how can you develop a program that supports them in learning how to be a better horse person? I think that's really important. Yeah. I agree. Godspeed to all you hobby horsemen. (laughs) Yeah. Horsewomen, horsemen out there, horse people. And can I also just say one last thing? Let's not make Facebook that support group. It's oh, not nice. I was just going to say, should we make a Facebook support no. group? No, because there's too many it's, know-it-alls on there. It's too many know-it-alls, and yeah. it gets mean and contentious every so single mean. time. I cannot go on Facebook anymore because I get so angry so when I go on any of these horse pages. I just It makes me mad and then really sad because I feel bad for these people that are looking for honest help, and they just get beat up. So don't go to Facebook. Look for a real person. Yes. <laughs> a real Take trainer. a workshop. Yeah. Go to Literally, a workshop. There's workshops. Yeah. I have some. And then oh, yeah. doing virtual <laughs> versions. So if you don't live close, you can come to those. Yes. R- Ruby has workshops. Um, on my website. <laughs> at com. There's a bunch of information oh there. <laughs> come on. Be there. Be square, people. Yeah. It's been a great season. It's been an amazing season. And we will see you guys in season two. This has been the Whole Scoop Podcast. The Whole Scoop Podcast was created by Jordan Holbrook and Ruby Doss and produced by Madeline Grass-Doss. Our theme music is by the band Wild Iris and their music is available on all platforms. You can find both of us on Instagram as well as the podcast on Instagram and Patreon. All links will be available in the show notes. Subscribe and review to support this podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share it with a friend. Or your farrier. Or your vet. Or your best friend. Or your Amazon driver. Or your mom. Or your horse. Or your trainer.